Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>Super Pod Hero Cast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. Patreon bonus, best worse. I'm Casey Ryan. And I'm Todd Panic. And we and watched we watched Halloween. The best of the horror. Yes. 1978, because there is another one. That's right. That's 2018 right. and whatever Rob Zombie's one was. Yeah, yeah. Which I've uh, never seen. Well, um so as we talked about last time, so our last Patreon bonus episode, we watched a, rep- a movie representative of the worst of the horror domain, the horror genre, and that was Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Good Christ. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, we eat our vegetables before we eat our dessert, so now we get to sample some of the best of the horror. Now, oh, yeah. you are a horror fan. I am a horror fan. Uh, I actually learned that uh, our buddy Joel... Uh, co-owner yeah. of Branching Out is a huge horror nut. Ah, what did he think of our picks for uh, the bookends here? The good and the bad. Uh, you know what? We never. I I try not to bring up Maximum Overdrive out of uh, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> rage. <smart. laughs> but that's, when I mentioned this and mentioned that you had never seen it, yeah, you weren't sure if you'd seen it all the way through. He's like, I'm sorry, those words don't connect in my brain. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so watching it. Uh, so I watched it uh, this afternoon. I, I've certainly seen bits of this movie i have never sit down and watched this movie end to end god yeah it's the original slasher film man it is it, 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 it is like so, not uh, even like 
in in like I'm not even saying that like uh, objectively or like as like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for like uh, I can't think hyperbolically of the yes hyperbolically this is literally 1978 there was nothing like this yeah there were yeah man this movie it, it, and it's um oh you know what let, it, so I, I'm actually excited to talk about this one let's uh, let's too. take let's take care of some housekeeping first oh uh, well I mean the first thing is since we are guys with beers talking about movies with capes. What are we drinking? Uh, so, little mix-up in communication. Uh, I thought you already had the beer for this movie. I appreciate mm-hmm. you messaging me this afternoon. <laughs> because so I, I did. did. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Todd usually stops by by now with the beer. Uh, <laughs> We're going to need like, that. Hey, buddy, are you going to stop by with the beer? And I had told you, we can say it because the episode sure. that tells us what it is will be out on the main feed. Uh, I had the beer for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. I initially got it for Ragnarok. I picked it up like almost a year ago. And Chris was like, ah, uh, you sure it's going to hold? I'm like, it's not. It doesn't go bad until February 2021. We'll get to it. We, we didn't get that far. <laughs> Did not get to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I scroll back through our Facebook feed. I was like, oh, yep, there you go. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, I don't I don't have the beer. So you took care of the beer for this. Uh, sure how did, did we get here? Oh man. Uh well, as I'm driving over, I'm going, hey, it's the beginning of Christmas season, and we're trying to find a fucking Halloween beer. <laughs> I walk in and Chris goes, What? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. I we should have thought of this earlier. Uh, walked around. Joel Joel was the one who helped me out. They were both there today. And uh, we both landed on um, a wonderful beer from the Roarback Brewing Company, uh, Nightman. It is a black Hefeweizen ale. I am a, actually a big fan of Roarback Brewing Company. They're right down the it's road a, from oh, us. Roarback? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, they're right down the road from us in Rochester. They bill themselves as Rochester's first craft brewery. They were founded in 1991 by John and Patty Erlob. Um, mm-hmm. They, again, claim the title as first craft beer brewery in Rochester, New York. I've had Black Hefeweizens before, but, boy, I have not had one in a long time. They're good beers. So I'm a, uh, I like Rohrbach's other beers. They do mm-hmm. a vanilla porter. Um, oh, yeah. in, around Christmas time, that's really good. So uh, I'm excited for this one. Should I read right off the can? Yeah, please. Okay. Our twist on a German classic. The Nightman is brewed with ultra-dark midnight wheat malt and chocolate malt, blending the backbone of a Hefeweizen with the dark chocolate characteristics and pitch black color of stouts. Traditionally, German Hefeweizen yeast adds flavors of banana and clove, creating the impression of a chocolate-covered banana and there are lots of bananas in this movie mm. from all the sex <laughs> there's always money in the banana stand right all right are we ready to try this deliciousness oh yeah yeah right in careful the mic. Yes. careful on your peer your 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 poor oh yeah i see what you're saying Holy shit, that doesn't even look like a Hefeweizen. Oh. What, what did you say about being careful on your pour? Yeah. <laughs> Every oh, fucking buddy. time. Every it's time. Every mm-hmm. time. See if I can kill some of this head. All right. Does the mic pick that up? You can hear that little crackling. <laughs> I think it does pick it up. I think it does. That's lovely. 
Oh, I can't wait to try this one. Ooh, this is All nice. Right. All right. Uh, cheers, my friend. Cheers, my friend. Come on. Oh, that's good. That is a good beer. Holy cow. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yum, 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 yum. That That'll do good it. Stuff. That mm-hmm. will do. Oh, my God. That's so good. Oh, good times. Good times. Uh, so not a whole lot of almost cast for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much the only part that was an almost cast was uh, Dr. Sam Loomis. Oh, okay. D- so That's the one he, he went through a lot of people for. Uh, he, they, uh, the people that were considered for the role were Peter O'Toole. Huh. Mel Brooks. <laughs> okay. Stephen Hill, Walter Matthau, Jerry Van Dyke, Lawrence Tierney, Kirk Douglas, John Belushi, Lloyd Bridges, Abe Vigoda, Chris Christopherson, Sterling Hayden, David Carradine, Dennis Hopper, Charles Napier, Ewell Brenner, Edward Bunker, and the last big names... Peter Cushing, hmm. and Sir Christopher Lee. That one I saw. I did uh-huh. see that. And Christopher one. Lee said he uh, they they both both of them uh, said they turned it down because of the pay was so low, and Lee said that it was the biggest mistake he made of his career. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, so that's a great segue. Money, you know, this is a true uh, 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 independent yeah. film, right? Yeah. Um, the budget was the budget is uh, pegged as three hundred thousand dollars. Now, nineteen. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Half of which went to the cameras. Really? Yep. And and, and twenty thousand of it went to Donald Pleasance for five days' work. That's not too shabby. Yeah, and he gets top billing. So sure. let's see. Um, so if you translate nineteen seventy eight dollars to twenty twenty, it's about four to one. So that three hundred thousand dollar budget then would be the equivalent of about one point two million dollars today. Mm-hmm. And, That's a true indie. Yeah, and um, bu- uh, box office domestic and overseas is in the seventy million dollar range. Again, if you translate. Translate that to twenty twenty dollars. That's two hundred and eighty million dollars on a one point two million dollar budget. Excuse me. Holy cow! No wonder you we get a a bazillion of these, right? Do you know where these movies go? Like in the in the storyline before it was kind of rebooted with the twenty eighteen. Well, so Halloween and Halloween oh, two. Yeah, I'm aware of what happened with three, right? That it was a completely like they were going to start making an anthology series yes. with three. And I think of the did Witch. John did John Carpenter leave for three? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was there for three. No, he was not there for three. Okay, Sorry, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, got it. Um, then four, uh, obviously ignores three by I think it's five or maybe six, starring uh, one Mister Ant Man, Paul Rudd. Uh, really, they bring in the Celtic occult. <laughs> Okay. I've, uh, yes, I believe I have heard of that one. Yep. Uh, then there's a 20th reunion movie. Uh, yeah, that was H2O, right? 
H2O, I think yeah. I saw that. That was uh, 98. I was in the Air Force. I saw that uh, with, a, with a buddy of mine that was also a huge horror fan. Which where they kill Lori, right? Uh, and then they um, kind of reboot the franchise. Maybe there was one more under that, and they reboot it with Rob Zombie, and he makes it just—I don't, I don't know. I've heard not very good things about his version. Okay. Um, if anyone out in the TSPHC Army uh, Patreon or in a couple years uh, regular feed, um, yeah. if you have anything nice to say about those movies, let me know. I might check them out, but I heard they're just. I mean, these movies are already dark enough. Like this is yeah. this isn't dark territory they go into. What is the one that they did just a couple of years ago where Laurie? So first of all, they undo H two O because Laurie's not dead, and she's kind of taken like a Sarah they Connors. They, they undo it all. It it ignores everything past Halloween. Really, Halloween seventy eight, and then it goes Halloween twenty eighteen, and it's. What if this actually happened to a teenager? What if all of her friends were murdered and she saw their dead bodies? She was terrorized by this person. And in 1978, mental health wasn't handled like it is now. Sure. What would happen to her? Well, she'd become a fucking hermit that uh, lives in a uh, complete safe house, like, <laughs> all well, the time. She's she's Sarah Connor from T2. Yeah, I mean, she she wants Michael to escape so she can kill him, like... It it really does an interesting job of of dealing with P, PTSD with Laurie. It's re- I really enjoyed it. I actually talked about it for a minute with uh, Joel. Oh and yeah, he was like, yeah, I mean, it was okay. I'm like, I I liked it. Uh, I you know I think that I saw at least part of it, and I wonder if I started to watch it but didn't finish it. But I know I saw at least part of it, and it seemed interesting. And it, it to your point, that premise was really interesting. I thought it was mm-hmm. um, a lot more interesting than I would. Uh, you know, I have my, these preconceived biases. I don't tend to think of horror movies typically as very interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought what they did in that one was was very interesting. Well, th- this Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Friday the Thirteenth give horror this kind of schlocky, uh, chintzy name. You know, the, by the time we, I mean, let's not even get into the fact that we should not root for Freddy because he is a child molester. <laughs> Yeah, and, and nope. the bad guy, right? I mean, like, yeah, just yeah. flat out. He's well, not yeah, an anti-hero. He's the bad guy. Well, we root for Jason, and he's, you know, but he had a tragic you, end. You you root for tra- Abs- Jason? Absolutely. There are people that root for Jason. Jason's the reason we go see the movies, to see him uh, kill all the, the sex-crazed teenagers. Interesting, interesting. All right, so there's a lot I want to talk about in horror here, so I think this is interesting. But let, let's finish some of that kind of production stuff. So Sure. Um, we met, we said the word John Carpenter, right? We said the name John Carpenter. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, directs it and also co-writes the screenplay with his then girlfriend, Deborah Hill, who mm-hmm. has a variety of writing and producing credits. Um, yeah. From what I saw, yeah. um, John focused on all the horror and the male, Led dialogue. Deborah did all the stuff where the girls were talking to each other. Got it. Got it. Like, oh, and you know, uh, as I'm looking, I'll say this: as I'm looking at her writing credits, the vast majority of the writing credits are where she's credited. They're all basically references back from to the character Halloween. she created here. Yeah. So there's a lot of Michael Myers Halloween stuff, but her producer credits, you know. um, uh, Adventures in Baby. Oh no, that was a TV short. Uh, the Fisher King, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, 
Um, the Daryl Hannah one? I think so. Yeah, that was no. uh, 93. Yeah, that's Daryl Hannah, yeah. TV movie. Um, yeah, so she's got some stuff. The Fog. Um, but, uh, but, but John Carpenter certainly is the name that everyone knows. Um, his music, it, it, I mean, you'd be hard pressed. I mean, the, the piano, the din, 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 that's right up there with the cha, cha, cha. I mean, like from a sound you, perspective, you hear that and you go, oh shit, Michael Myers is coming to murder me. <laughs> I'm so fucked right now. Whatever's <laughs> that. Um, um, you know, I while, love his. Look, Let's stay on Deborah Hill for a hot okay. second. Oh, sure, sure. Because uh, do you know that there are five different people that play the shape, which is what he is listed as in the credits? He's not listed as Michael. Yes. Uh, Nick well, Castle. I didn't know there's five, but I know that there's a yeah. number of people that played him. Yeah, it's Nick Castle who does it throughout the movie. The unmasking is a childhood friend of John Carpenter's, Tony Moran, who was just visiting set that day. And he's like, hey, let's get your face. Your face you is kind who, of. Do you know who he is? Tony Moran, uh, the name didn't ring a bell with me. Uh, the Tony wouldn't, but uh, he is the brother of Aaron Moran, Joni from Happy Days. Oh, really? I saw oh, that in the as I was nice. like looking at stuff. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there was a stunt man for like falling off the the balcony, stuff like that. James yep. Winburn, production designer. Uh, Tommy Lee Warrants, due to his knowledge of how much force would be need to break props during the action shots in a single take to save money, they oh, had the guy sure them to be like, yeah, I know how to break this, like probably breaking <laughs> the slats of the um, what's the word I'm looking for the the, the closet that closet, Lori hides yep, in. Sure, yep. sure. Knowing how to he, do that, he tears up two or three doors in addition oh, yes, to the does. closet door. Right? Yeah. Let, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, Michael Myers spent all of his time doing push-ups. The guy is incredibly strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's still the, like superhuman strength. It's still like believable strength, but he is he is a strong motherfucker. I, one of the things I loved in that, uh, was it was it tw- the Halloween, tw- the 2018? Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that the one where basically he's in, he's at a, like a prison or mental institution that's like a prison, but he's in a yard and he's basically chained in the middle of the, of the yeah, rec yard. Yep, that's exactly from that one. And you know, who's coming to interview him are two podcasters. And I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and they're that's treated right. like, they're just dicks. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes. We are dicks, but not all podcasts. <laughs> that's right. Um, and lastly, the fifth person was Deborah Hill herself. Really? In the external wide shot, when Tommy sees the shape across the on the other side of yeah. the road, and he freaks out, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. That's Deborah Hill. No kidding. Uh, nope. That's yeah. random. Uh, it ha- it uh, she happened to bring the costume that day, and no one else was available to shoot it. That's why. <laughs> so literally, go stand over there. Go t- go stand over there. Look as tall as you can. That's crazy. Um, so John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. In addition to a writer director, certainly as a composer musician, you know this one. I also think of the music in Escape from New York. He's got such a distinctive style. He sure. loves those synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times in this, I was like, okay, I have to remember it's 1978. You know, he he reminds me of Jason Siegel's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Well, he's not even really scoring. He's just he's just playing notes, right? Yeah, I just yeah. He writes tones, is what he says. That's right. That's right. I don't write write scores. I I write tones. God, that movie's so good. 
but this is the basis for that. I mean, uh, uh, there's so one of the things I was struck by watching this was what a simple stripped down movie this is, right? Yeah. There, the special effects are just, you know, some stunts or, you know, prop set pieces or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But just through the use of the camera is so often a perspective, right? Like it turns and moves like somebody's looking at something. The music to establish the tone. He does. I, I see why this is a classic of horror because he does so much with, I mean, there's a couple moments that I would barely deem as jump scares, but it's not even that. It's just he's created this incredibly frightening world with yeah. almost with just I think the artistry. There's there's a mild jump scare near the end of the film, but it's not like a ba-da! It's just like a, oh my god, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Sure, you know, sure. yeah. Well, and we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so iconic. Um, horror characters. We've got Freddy. What do you? What's the first thing you think of? Nightmares or the sweater, Na- the claw, yeah, the sweater, yeah. or the knives for hands. Sure. Um, which is literally what Wes Qu- Craven. How he came up with it. He had a, a an actual nightmare himself of a man in a red and black sweater wearing a fedora with knives for hands. That, that'll do it. <laughs> and that's why uh, I think five or six is named Wes Craven's new nightmare because. He had a nightmare that what if Freddy got out into the real world? Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so so for him we got that Jason the hockey what, mask. Yep. Okay. What what about Michael? The mask, which which is Captain Kirk. Fuck yeah, it is. Well, it's actually from it's actually a TJ Hooker. A lot of people. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a TJ Hooker mask. But got it. Because by seventy, uh, wait, was it TJ Hooker? Wasn't that eighties? You're right. Yeah. No, I think, maybe it's, a, it is I think a, it's a Captain Kirk mask. Now I did I know read that. I mean, it's Chatner. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Is that there were other masks considered? Did you see what they were? Oh no, no, no. Oh, uh, well, the the one that they use is a Captain Kirk, uh, William Shatner, however you want to put it, turned yeah. inside out. And oh, I, the, I, I heard no because the hair is on the outside. They put different hair on it. Oh, I, I read that they you they put like basically like a pale makeup oh, sure. over it to wash it out. Yeah. It's all three of those things. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Turned it inside out, painted it white, gave it funky hair. Um, the other masks that were considered were Richard Nixon. <laughs> okay. Spock. Oh, okay. Continuing the Star Trek theme yeah. for some odd reason. Because clearly those were the masks in front of them at the store, right? <laughs> well, especially this last one. Emmett Kelly. Oh, the clown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh, that would have been fucking terrifying yeah this and i feel like clown stabbing everybody I, I feel like the nod to that at the beginning right is michael as a child wearing halloween the wearing the clown get up yeah 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 i'm um, wondering if they had hey they had started filming that when they were gonna use emmett and then they switched to this like how terrifying would it have been to continue the clown theme sure sure um interesting uh so i mean I, listen john carpenter I chuckle at I chuckle when I hear his music. First of all, because I think you know his music when you hear it. Sure. But I'll say this, boy: if you list the the movies the guy has done, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, They Live, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is the one of the, uh, in my opinion, the best H.P. Lovecraft horror story that we've ever seen on film, mm-hmm. um, Christine. 
right? <laughs> Stephen King. Sure. Like the guy, holy cow, th- what an amazing artist he is. I mean, his body of work is just just phenomenal. I mean, and- I, I enjoyed it even if for nothing other than seeing the start of his career because this is his this is his first feature film right i believe so and 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 also this holds a place that's like we were saying this starts the slasher movie franchise this is the first one so okay i take let me let me correct myself before somebody else kills me here okay so he did he does dark star in 1974 as a science fiction comedy then in 76, yes, he the does volleyball is the enemy. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I've never seen that. Is it? Oh, it's, it's fucking insane. Um, then he does assault on precinct precinct 13, which gets remade, a, right. you know, a, a little while ago with, I think Ethan Hawke. Um, but then after that, it's Halloween. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so we talked about the, budget the money almost cast what's the um, imdb score for this bad boy imdb score is a 7.8 out of 10 i bet you there are a lot of hardcore horror fans that are dinging it for for not being like modern movies like the uh, body count right. of the movie it's they're so using low. the modern perspective uh-huh. to, yeah 100 uh, percent. yeah i mean it kills four people in this film that's it uh five right four his sister in the beginning. We don't count that. She, he kills her. <laughs> She's <We> dead. <laughs> okay. Adult Michael Myers. Kills okay. Yeah. Five okay. Four That's, people. Fair. That's fair. Um, all right. Well, uh, anything else we need to talk about? I'm actually really excited. Unlike, unlike um, maximum overdrive. I'm excited to Man. talk about this one. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, uh, like we said, we open with uh, one of the most recognizable horror movie themes of all time. Like, at first, like, oh, a jack-o'-lantern. And the more you look at that jack-o'-lantern, did you become more and more unnerved by it? I, I did not look at it that long. What, what is it that unnerves you about it? I don't know. Just the, just the fact that it just stays on it and then it slowly pans in on it. I don't know. It's like... You know, it was setting up like uh, almost subliminally, like anytime, because almost every time someone dies, there is a pumpkin near. I yeah. think. Uh, or, you know, I mean, it's Halloween, so that's sure. not really that. Big yeah, thing, exactly. Um, yeah, but it's. It, I almost see that as more of. I feel this whole movie has a real kind of voyeuristic vibe sure. to it. Like, sure, sure, sure. Again, I. The camera just feels like much more of an observer than I typically think of with a movie. And it just seems, I mean, certainly from the very beginning, like mm-hmm. it's clear that the we're seeing things as the camera that maybe we shouldn't be or wouldn't be polite to be or it's taboo to see yeah. or to linger on. I didn't write down the amount of time, but that continuous POV shot of Kid Michael... That was incredible. Yeah. So we go through the credits again. Donald Pleasance get it's Donald Pleasance in John Carpenter's Halloween. We get introducing Jamie Lee Curtis as Lori. Who we then didn't we talk about the fact of who her mother is, the sure. original screen queen, Janet Lee. That's right. That's right. And uh, actually, you know, I did see I did see an almost cast that John Carpenter was not interested in her. He was trying to cast a woman who was in actress who was in Lassie, I think. Oh, I didn't see this at all. Yeah. Uh, 
I read that he actually thought it was a uh, a wonderful ode to Jamie Lee Curtis's mother casting her in the new horror. So, okay, so I'm on the Wikipedia page. He originally wanted to cast Anne Lockhart, the daughter of June Lockhart from Lassie, as Laurie Strauss. But she had other acting commitments. She wasn't available. Um, When he learned that Jamie Lee Curtis was Janet Lee's daughter, it it seemed like that really clicked for him. And yeah, then... Okay. And then the rest is a uh, is uh, movie magic. Literally history. That's right. So we get a we get a graphic text. Uh, Halloween night, nineteen sixty three. Now again, it's a seventy eight movie, so this is fifteen years prior. We yep. get a really creepy voiceover of kids doing like a trick or treat chant that I I've never heard before. There's a lot of repeated dialogue in this movie that I was like, hmm, you just ran out of stuff for these people to say. So just like the kids are going to the house going, trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat, trick or treat, smell my feet. I'm like, just take the fucking candy and get out of here. (laughs) You know, I'll I'll say this. And again, unlike, I think certainly Nightmare on Elm Street, but even going to like Friday the 13th, this is not a complex story in any way. And it's not a dig on it. I'm just pointing out. Uh, other than sure. some stuff that sets up, you know, the, the hospital that he escapes from, the high school where we see Lori with her friends, downtown, the hardware store where he stole stuff. Otherwise, it's basically a couple houses on one block. Yeah. And a, a lot of the simplicity is also what creates some pretty major plot holes in the movie, too. That I'm just like, okay, look, look, you're doing it for the first time. Sure. Uh, okay, I'll I'll forgive these. I'll t- I'll point them out <laughs> when we get there. But there were a couple I was like, uh, like one that's fixed is why is Michael so fixated on Lori? Yeah, it's I, answered I, in Halloween two, and then retconned out by Halloween 2018. It, so, is that that he that she's his sister? Yes. So which, stupid. Okay. Apologies to whoever wrote Halloween 2, but that's dumb. So what was it? Like, because of the trauma of Michael killing his older sister, they gave Lori up for adoption or something? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And Pretty But much. Michael yeah. knows that he had a sister and he's going to hunt her down. Yeah, which uh, she would have been, I mean, how old is Lori in this movie? 16? 17 at the most? At the most, yeah. She's in so high she's school. like one or two. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it works, but it's just kind of like... And there's actually a joke in Halloween 2018 where they're like going through all this stuff, and and one of the they're talking with the the granddaughter of Lori. Like I heard he's like your uncle or something, and she's like, "No, that's a stupid internet rumor." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Uh, that's great. Um, you know who wrote Halloween 2018 is um oh fuck, uh, Eastbound and Down that guy, Danny McBride. Oh, because he's, he's in it. He's in it. That's right. Uh, is he? Isn't he? Or he's in H two O. He's in one of them. I don't think he's in it, but he wrote it, and it's 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 so good. Uh, he did you see him or did you hear him on? Must have been Armchair Expert. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the right there Halloween twenty eighteen writing credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he was. Was he he not couldn't have been it? in nine. No, you're right. He's he's not in it. Why did he I think he was? He's not. I don't think he's in Halloween H2O. I don't think he was active yet. No. Um. 
Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't H2O. I, I, I guess I was thinking, oh, no, we were talking about, yeah. So I don't know why I thought he was in one of them. Interesting. Getting us started here, this whole idea is Michael Myers, who appears to be, what, maybe 8, 10, 12? Six. He's six? That's a big six-year-old. It sure is, but he's, well, he's a big adult. Oh, okay, so oh, okay, right. I guess it makes sense, but later in the film, um, Loomis says he came upon Michael when he was six. Got it, okay. Um, so, M- Michael is watching th- watching his who, his sister through the windows of his house. Yep. She has her boyfriend over. They're fooling around upstairs. They go upstairs. They do the deed. I mean, I've heard of quickies, but that's like 45 seconds. Yeah, but her boyfriend's like, what, 17, 18? So that's... But I mean, he got completely... They both get completely undressed. (laughs) That's that's right. That's right. I mean, is Judith's uh, boyfriend a two-pump chump? Yeah, if that, right? He goes from one window to, to another window, and then he's like, oh, no, he comes inside. Yep. So he's got like he a goes 15 into the second kitchen. want, grabs a chicken, uh, a chicken. Oh boy. The chef's grabs knife. A chef's knife. Thank you. I was going to say a kitchen knife. Um, walks down and he, and the boyfriend's coming down the stairs. I'm like, Whoa, buddy. He's already half dressed. Yeah. Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know if Judith had a good time, but those were some of the 45 of the best seconds of his life. You know, like absolutely now. On the plus side, he he could go again in like two minutes, and he could probably do mm. that for the course of seven hours. Yeah, uh, bastard! Uh, I remember those days. Yeah, I know, right? That was a long time ago. Um, so the boyfriend leaves. My, mm-hmm. Michael goes upstairs. He picks up. Um, we see this again. Interesting this this idea that the camera is a character. When he, yeah, uh, we need to point out we're still in a POV shot. We are yes. still Michael Myers' eyes at this point. When the knife is taken from the kitchen, it's through the perspective of if you reached underneath the camera. Again, if that was your mm-hmm. perspective, he gets the knife out of the drawer, goes upstairs, finds a clown mask on the floor. Right, because the boyfriend had been wearing it. That's right. Puts it on, and it covers the camera, so we get like basically the eye holes shape. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then goes into his sister's room. She is topless, brushing her hair. It's the 70s, man. <laughs> but, you know, this is a form. So Wes Craven, I think, kind of famously points out the rules, right? Like, if you have sex, you know, it's a puritanical view in horror movies, right? If you have sex, you're punished with death. Well, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill came out and said, we weren't specifically trying to make it that way. We more went with the the people that were having sex were so preoccupied with having sex. That's why they die. It's sure. not, it's not a sex is evil. It's sex makes you forget what you're doing. And the reason Lori is so good in this movie has nothing to do with her virginity. It has the fact that she is alone for most of the film. So she is more alert. It, like, that, oh, okay. Yeah. I think that it. is an explanation that makes total sense. The, <laughs> the problem is um, there is a mythology that has grown up now. And I would sure. argue and, really from this movie, it, yeah, people have taken it from this, also from Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know it was solidified in Scream. Sure, but the, remember the rules of horror. Wes Craven writes Nightmare on Elm Street. He's pointing back to this, right? He's pointing back right. to the formation of the really the, the horror genre. Right, because uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street was eighty three, eighty four, something like that. One moment. Um, and of course, that is uh, famously deconstructed in Cabin in the Woods. 
84. Yep. It's a nightmare on Elm Street. 84. So, yeah. So okay. six, six years later. Um, well, but again, it's, Scream, like, they're watching Halloween. And uh, it's great because, like, is this the one where Jamie shows her boobs? And <laughs> J- Jamie um, um, Kennedy is like, no, no, no. You had to watch uh, Prom Night, 1985, to get the the boobs, you know. Da-da. And then somehow the movie jumps around. Like, once you know Halloween, you're like, hang on, that scene already happened. And there's a scene, or maybe they're watching Halloween 2 or one of them. There's a part where, like, Michael is sneaking behind her. Mm-hmm. And Jamie Kennedy's going, Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you, Jamie, while the killer from Scream is walking behind, behind him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it's it, a great listen, moment. The, you know, I think, to your point, right, if, if you if you look at this movie through a modern lens, you're kind of going to go, oh, you're not going to like it? it. Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be disappointed with what you're seeing. You need to know that this is setting the ground for Nightmare Everything on Elm Street, comes Hollow, after, sure. uh, uh, Friday the 13th. Um, scream like it's setting the rules of you have a masked killer, except for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but you have a masked killer, yep, who seems superhuman, stalks his prey, stalks his prey. Like this, and this is also one of the few movies, few horror movies where we see the killer driving, yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's some stuff, so I don't know that I'd call it a specifically a plot hole, but there's certainly some stuff that goes, ah. Yeah, how did Michael learn how to drive if he's been how, institutionalized since he was six? The yeah. whole the whole institution thing feels like a set piece to get Michael back in play because it makes zero what? sense. Do you mean the fact that Michael hasn't spoken a word in fifteen years? We're, we hear that next. We jumped at seventy eight. We've got uh, Doctor Loomis and Nurse Flarvin, Bishmarvin, yeah. whatever her name is. Ratchet. Um, <laughs> nope. That, no, that's not. actually that's not fair because she is a little bit. She's she's pissed. She does not like how Loomis is talking about this this man that Loomis keeps referring to as it. It and pure evil and all these things. But if Michael hasn't spoken a word in 15 years, how do you know he's pure evil? So this is the right. This mm-hmm. is this the, is the biggest plot hole in the film. You know, there and I feel like do the later movies dive into like you know, what makes Michael, none of that is here. None of that is here. He might as well be, he might as well be a tornado, right? He's almost indiscriminate in his killing. There is no motivation that we can discern other than this whole theme of him returning to his roots, right? He's almost an elemental force, right? In this case, Loomis would say he's an elemental force of evil. Right, like mm-hmm. there's there's 100%. nothing beyond that, um, so, and the movie doesn't explore that. But that's not what this movie's doing. It's telling, and I saw a quote from John Carpenter saying that he was basically telling a haunted house story, right? Like 100. It's the yeah, house that's in what it. He's doing. every every town has that one house that the story is somebody w- you know was murdered there. They went crazy there. Something happened there, and that's the the focal point. And that's all he's doing is telling it. And so the other stuff from Carpenter's perspective, doesn't really matter because that's not what it's about. Did you have one of those in your hometown? Uh, well, Syracuse, I'm trying to... Th- no, like, no, like, literally. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so, um, this is going to sound, it's going to sound inflammatory. Uh, you know, we grew up poor, so I feel like, I feel like the fantasy of horror is a luxury of 
means. I feel yeah, like right. if you grow up yeah. poor, like you, there's too much, there's too much horror in the real world mm-hmm. that you, you know, that you don't know, get, does you. that, does that make sense? It does. 100%. I, I see what you're saying. Um, you know, and I didn't become a horror fan until I was older. I'd watch crappy horror movies with my brother and, <laughs> and our friend on yep. Halloween. But, but I mean, like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, like sure, with Matthew sure. McConaughey and uh, Renee Zellweger, <laughs> it is pure garbage. <laughs> like we would go for the shittiest, um, horror movies. Like now is, is Colin a horror fan as well? Sure is. And yeah. he was and, your and entree. Like he introduced it to you. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Does he have a favorite? Oh, we should probably we should have asked him that. You. I guess we still um, can. No, he. Yeah. We did. He he mentioned something on. Uh, I think he voted for Halloween. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's why we're doing this. We're doing Halloween. Yeah, we should say that, right? Like, uh, you know, this was the movie we landed on. This was the this was the clear winner in the poll we did. Well, we've already done that with the video that we sent out. I had a horror house in. Oh. Not not in my hometown, but uh, oh. the guy that had people locked in his basement. The Jamelski room. Yes, I drove by that every day. Did you really? To go to wet to work at Wegmans. Yep. No shit. Holy cow. It was so pretty fucked up when that and and this was like an afterthought horror house. Like at the yeah. time, like dude, dude, don't even know. The crazy thing is that house is still standing. Why has that house not been burned? I, I remember. Uh, it was sold. Uh, right. Yeah, like, but part of the s- sale was they were supposed to destroy it, I believe, or at least the basement. I, that's very possible, or that they filled uh, well, it. Filled I it fucking in. hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny. What did I just watch? Oh, when I last, oh, guess just uh, back in February, I you know went down to Florida, visited my brother Joey, and then you know visited Chuck for a little while. Mm-hmm. One night at Chuck's, we were drinking and watching TV, and I you and Chuck were drinking. The devil, you say. Shaka. Um, Shaka. We watched uh, Room with Brie Larson. Man, what a what a tough watch. Yeah, but, but I was like, so I was telling Chuck, like, the thumbnails version of that. I'm like, we kind of had that, except instead of a shed, it was a, you know, a, basically a bunker underneath. He never, I don't think he ever fathered any children with them. N- no, 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 no. I, not, not that oh. they, not that we ever heard about, but yeah, but yeah, what a, yeah. No, that, so you, that's right. Cause you're 10 years younger than me. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Th- I remember when that happened here. Holy cow. Good. Fuck. That was, that was rough. Um, oh, and also in room it's Jake, Jacob, uh, Tremley playing, um, the, the captor. Yeah, the kid. No, the kid. Oh, the kid. Jacob Tremblay. That... He, uh, he was in Wonder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. a good actor. He's really yeah, he, good. And yeah. he's the voice of, uh, is it him? The voice of Robin on the Harley Quinn animated series that's now on HBO Max that was on their, uh, no kidding. their DC Universe streaming thing. Hang on, I'm looking. Uh, voice, the kid, Little Mermaid, Pizza Cat. 2020. Yeah, Harley Quinn. He's Robin. Yep, 2019 to 2020. Yep. Two episodes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty funny. Oh, and guy. he's in Dr. Sleep. Uh, Bradley, Bradley Trevor. Move it along, guys. So Loomis is in the car with the nurse. It's October 30th, <laughs> 1978. Smith's Grove, Illinois. As the, we're experiencing, Loomis clearly sees him as evil. The nurse doesn't understand this. They are getting mm-hmm. ready to take him to a hearing. He's going to yeah. be dosed. Loomis doesn't want to do it, but it's the law. But what I don't get, they get, they arrive at 
the hospital and there's basically like figures on the side of the road and the gate is closed. None of them in long story short, Michael Myers has gotten out. He gets the car from them and drives away. Never like there were more than one person on the side of the road, right? Like did he, did he free other inmates? I think he did to create confusion. Yeah. Which is odd that he would be so cunning. Michael doesn't seem that cunning. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. That was a moment where I go, wait, what's, yeah, yeah. And also like that he drives away and I'm like, wait, hang on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, there's that scene that in, uh, in a little bit where um, Loomis and the director of the mental health health Institute are walking and talking and he's like, I don't understand how he learned how to drive. Well, he did. I'm like, is that supposed to stop us questioning it? Cause Clearly, that's all the explanation we get, so it must be. Yes. Right. I'm like, no, wait, really? Like, even, like, if it was, like, there's no way, because there was no way anyone would ever put Michael in the front seat. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So he'd never be able to see, okay, the long pedal makes you go, the the short uh, sideways pedal makes you stop. This yeah. is the place that, this is the part of the story that makes no sense, right? Like, the whole point of this is designed to get Michael, he's been locked away for 15 years, he's mm-hmm. escaped. And he's returning to Haddonfield, and that's all we know. Can we talk about how Tommy is the worst motherfucker in this movie, and I wanted him to die? Oh, wow. Let's Sure, let's talk about that. We got we got Lori walking to school. Yeah. Uh, she's got to stop by the Myers house to put a key because it's going to be sold. Right. Her dad told her to drop a key there. Yep. Uh-huh. As she's walking there, Tommy shows up and is just being an annoying little fuck. Coming over tonight. Same time, same place. Can we make jack-o'-lanterns? Sure. Can we watch the monster movies? Sure. Can you read to me? Can we make popcorn? Sure, sure. He's almost a stand-in for the little brother, but it's clear that she's his babysitter. And so it's the it's the million questions. So many questions. And then she goes to the house. Tommy has to go to uh to school. So she drops a key off. She's walking away. That song that she's singing is a song that Jamie Lee Curtis just came up with. Saves on royalty rights, right? That's right. That's right. Okay, Jamie, thanks for singing that. Here's a dollar. That's right. That's right. Uh, and um, as she's walking away, uh a a person wearing a overalls. Uh, comes into frame. We don't see his face, but there's we we know it's not good because there's this very ominous music that plays. Tones, yes, yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. This is Michael. He's stalking her throughout Haddonfield, and to your point, mm-hmm. we don't exactly know why. He's there when some of her other friends are there, but we don't see any of the other friends noticing him or being seen by him when it's just him. In fact. He actually has physical contact with a kid who's bullying Tommy, and he basically yep. like shoves the kid out of the way. He follows Tommy for a bit before mm-hmm. driving away. The only character that he seems to have any focus on is Lori, which, again, makes sense if it's really his sister. That feels awkward. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. otherwise, again, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense other than she's the protagonist and he's chasing her. I mean, arguably, that's what the story is. So it doesn't, the rest of it doesn't matter. It's it's all about that. Dr. Loomis is uh, is leaving the mental institution. The guy's like, how did he learn how to drive? He just did. Da, da, da. He's got 150 miles 
to drive. Halfway there, he finds his first phone booth. Now, kids, a phone booth is like a cellular telephone. <laughs> with a bu- big box around it. <laughs> with a big box around it. If, you, if you've watched Doctor Who, uh, you, you kind of know what a phone booth is. That's right. Uh, that's right. Well, I guess, no, if you've watched Bill and Ted, you know what a phone booth is. <laughs> It's better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and as he finishes his phone call, arguing with the sheriff of, of Haddonfield, he notices some white hospital clothes that are hanging on some trees in a tow truck that uh, the doors open on. And if he'd walked just a little farther, he would have found Michael Myers' first victim. Oh, so that is fine. No. Two couples. He doesn't uh, kill two couples. He only kills... One couple. That's right. Annie is solo when she gets killed. That's right. One plus two plus two plus one. So I wonder that he Loomis turns and runs after he discovers the the hospital clothes, the empty truck. Um, Do you so, not know what clues him in? I must know the matchbook that that the nurse lit her cigarettes with. Oh, I saw he picked that up. I didn't get that reference. <laughs> Got it. That makes yeah, perfect sense. Is. Okay. So he doesn't see the body because you're right. The body's at another five feet away in the brush. Mm-hmm. He may have still been alive. I mean, we could really kind of make Loomis an accomplice in this. He, and and Loomis as a psychiatrist would be an MD. So he totally could have rendered aid. So Loomis is the bad guy. Okay. Yeah. We're going to have to chalk that one up to Loomis. Okay. That one's on Loomis. That's, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, and Loomis really plays the part of like, uh, you know, the harbinger of doom, right? He's the one who knows. He knows exactly what Michael is and is warning everyone. The hospital director, to your point, well, first off, the nurse doesn't understand how he can talk about a person as an it. The hospital director, you know, yeah, the guy escaped, but the hospital director doesn't seem that upset about it. Loomis, meanwhile, is, he already identifies, to your point, Haddonfield's 150 miles away, in Loomis's mind, there's only one place Michael's going. It's back to Haddonfield. So right. he's making his way there. He's calling ahead, trying to warn them. And it's the almost kind of like, uh, do. Yeah. yeah, Chicken Little, right? Like, no one will listen to him. Right. Going back just a second, it's been a while since I watched this. Um, did you think the nurse was going to bite it, too? I did. I did. Because, I mean, so Dr. Loomis gets out of the car to go investigate the gate that's closed and apparently leaving the nurse in the car spider monkey he does a spider monkey on her uh breaks grabs her through the window does he break he must Mm -hmm. break the window because it's raining she's got the her window down he reaches in and grabs her she runs to the other one it must not be raining it's not raining oh yeah oh no no, it is and then he slams his hand against the passenger side window right 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 in reality it is a giant cut where the where the person goes and then they cut, and then it's a it's a fake broken piece of glass, and they just have his hand on it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I mean, again, I feel like we can go quick because relatively quick because it's all about getting us to the stalking. Um, and most of know, the stalking is just and Michael stalked Lori. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and right? it's it, so it's Halloween night. Yeah, I got a question here. Yeah. It's like, so Lori gets out of school. So it's 3.30 at the latest when she's walking home, right? Sure. 3.30, maybe 4 o'clock. Sure. They're fucking kids trick-or-treating. Who trick-or-treats at 3.30 in the afternoon? I would be like... Those kids are in bed promptly at 6 p.m. every night. Good God. 
I had that same thought. And I was like, who trick or treats that early? First of all, if you show up at my house at four o'clock, you're not getting candy. You're getting my scorn. Why are you here? Leave me alone. Yeah, you're getting the you're getting the trick, not the treat. That's right. That's right. That's right. Combat, exploration, and roleplay. These are known as the three pillars of play that make every game of Dungeons and Dragons exciting, tense, and rewarding. But we believe there's another pillar to the world's greatest role-playing game, and that fourth pillar is creation. Are you a dungeon master who has always wanted to create your own monsters? Execute your own adventures? Design your own challenges, spells, classes, and lineages? That is what we here at the Fourth Pillar of Play, a Night Shift radio production, are doing. Learning game design by designing games. We are not professionals. We are enthusiastic amateurs, just like many of you. So join us as we review and discuss information by professional game designers and put theory into practice by creating new worlds, new monsters, and new opportunities for heroic players. I'm Josh. And I'm Talon. Join us at the fourth pillar of play, available wherever you download your podcasts or visit us at www.fourthpillarofplay.com. And we look forward to creating with you. Commander, where are we? We seem to be stuck in an alternate dimension. And you're no longer a captain, you're a commander. Commander. Dear God! Are you a lieutenant? And why are you talking like that? Oh no, I don't I don't know why I'm talking like that. But no, I seem uh, to have no rank. Only the title of Doctor? I don't think there are admirals either. Captain, I mean Commander, I mean Look, Casey, we are getting a message. It seems we have been tasked with reviewing a historical document entitled Galaxy Quest? Then there's no moment to spare. Engage! I, I I don't think um, Night Shift Radio Legal has cleared usage of engage, so you might want to just oh. dial that back there. All right. Well, then, I guess it's up to us to say, join us over on the Where No Mom Has Gone Before podcast as we review 1999's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. Mom! Lori sees, so she sees Michael, she's in school, she sees him outside the school, she's walking home with Linda and Annie, uh, Michael kind of does a drive-by stalking in the station wagon. Oh my God. You know, and Annie, that is a, let's, let's pause on that for a second. Uh-huh. The station wagon is not a thing anymore. We have SUVs, we have crossover vehicles, but think about it. Like, you and I probably both have spent time in the back, you know, like excited because we the got backpack? to ride in the way back of the station. Uh, the way wagon. back or the backpack. Yep. Kids today have no preference or no reference for that, right? Like it, it's not a thing anymore. So here's the crazy thing: there are still station wagons. Mercedes Benz makes one. You are kidding me. Why? And most wagons, like yeah. my my wife's car, she drives uh, an XB, is sure. considered a wagon, but it is titled. Ready for this? An urban utility vehicle for it does not have four-wheel drive so it's for city driving um hey did you recognize the uh the cemetery caretaker uh i you know don't look it up don't look it up don't look it up no i didn't i mean he seemed familiar but i couldn't tell you who he is he's toodles he's lost his marbles (gasps) 
From Hook. Arthur Mallet. Yeah. From Hook. Holy cow. I've lost my marbles. He has 139 acting credits. Good for him. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. Like, I always forget when until I watch this movie. I'm like, oh, right. Toodles is in this. <laughs> oh. We have the obligatory, uh, the teenagers have to smoke pot scene. Yeah. Uh, right. They're that's driving. Right. And like, I don't understand why they had to stop for for Annie's dad. So it's a small town. They, no one calls him sheriff. And in fact, in fact, when Lori bumps into him on her way home, she says, Mr. Brackett. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know that he, he might just be a deputy. But it's one of those things like you're in a small town. His daughter's driving. He knows that's her driving. She sees his cop car. I'm sure that's just the rule of their house. You stop, right? Like, like it's. I don't know. I think I think it's just there so that they can have the freak out about the pot. And by the way, they were smoking that in a closed car. That cop, one hundred and ten percent. That's right. They were hot boxing. Yeah, one hundred percent. He should have when the window rolled down. He should be like Lori, Annie. <laughs> just giving him giving him a look like that's right. We will talk about this later, young lady. That's right. He's at a hardware store. Someone has oh well first well, first at the graveyard, Loomis is there with the graveyard keeper. They're walking through the graveyard. The graveyard keeper's telling all these, you know, horror stories of every town has this. And again, this is almost that reference back to the haunted house. Every town has this story that the person that committed right. this violent crime. Right. The As town get, he grew up in. He, yeah. There was a person, they were sitting at dinner. The guy excused himself, went to the uh the um the shed, got got a hacksaw, and and we are interrupted by him going, Why do they do it? Goddamn kids. And there's a there's a headstone missing. As he does his Math, looking around the plots. Of course, Loomis has already realized whose headstone it is. It's mm-hmm. Judith Myers, who was Michael's sister that he killed in the opening. Her headstone has been removed. And, of course, melodramatic uh, Dr. Loomis. He came home. At this point, he's it, it, to Loomis's knowledge, Michael has killed one person. You're right. We can only surmise that... During the course of treating Michael over la- or trying to treat Michael over the last fifteen years, Loomis has rec- you know recognizes that this being is pure evil to the point where he's no longer a human; he's an it. How Michael doesn't talk. Yeah. Right. Uh, did did he do a Doctor Lecter? Did he uh, chew off a nurse's face? You know, and his heart rate never gets above you know uh, eighty beats a minute or something. I, I think you mean. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Uh, then, we, then we've got the scene with, with Lori and Annie driving, smoking the pot. So her dad is on scene. Someone broke into a hardware store. They they stole mm-hmm. a mask, some a rope, some rope, and some knives. That'll be important later on. Loomis shows up there. He wants to talk to Brackett. And Brackett's basically like, look, I'm busy, but you know, come see me a little bit. We'll we'll take care of it. Man, if Loomis had just turned around. He would have seen Michael drive by in the station wagon. <laughs> His car, right? Like, that's my Loomis, car. turn yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. Now we get to, it's basically Halloween night, right? Mm-hmm. And L- Lori's babysitting. Um, yep. Actually, Annie is going to be babysitting as well. Lori and Annie are babysitting. Lindsay is not. She's going out with Bob. Uh, that's. Uh, I think that's Linda. 
Oh, you're right. Linda. Linda. Yeah. The wonderful PJ Stoles. Her name is totally Linda. It's cl- it clearly says Linda. Yes. No, I was making the joke that she says totally all the time. Oh, she right. does say totally all the time. That's right. She does. She does. <laughs> like that. That was a fun little uh, uh, character trait that I wonder if um, Deborah Hill gave. Uh, what's her name? PJ. PJ Stoles. Stoles. Or if that's something PJ came up with. Like, I think my idiot character is going to say totally all the time. So I think we can get to, I mean, now we're basically, now we're at the the siege. Because again, I think we talked about this a little bit in Maximum Overdrive. In, in broad strokes, some of the, like the, the story elements, you know, you get the passage through dangerous tr- territory. This kind of hits that siege, right? Like something is attacking you from the outside. You have to survive it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we, we've talked about it before. Why did the dog have to die? Uh, I, I actually saw a note on that. John Carpenter really wanted to underscore the fact that Michael Myers is evil. Congratulations. <laughs> Do you know, I, I did uh, thankfully see how they did that effect. Oh, yeah. I said someone was just holding the dog and the owner was holding its hind legs up. Yeah, let go real quick and jumped out of the shot, and then they just had it. They slowed the film down so that it looked like the life was leaving it. Oh no way! I was like, okay, good. The doggy was okay. I can't <laughs> can't deal with animals, man. Yeah. Annie spills butter on herself while she's talking with um, Lori and decides that she's got to go change. No, 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 no. She's in the she's in the kitchen. She yells to the. To the little girl that she's watching. Um, uh, oh, what's her name? Something Wallace. Lindsay, get this dog out of the kitchen right now. In the kitchen, she strips down to just her panty. She yells to the kid to bring her a robe. The kid ignores her. Uh-huh. She strips down to just her panties and then finds what I assume is Mr. Wallace's like dress shirt hanging Possibly in the closet. from in the that pantry. day? Yeah, in the but in the pantry, it's right off the kitchen, which she grabs and puts on. And I'm like, on the rare occasions we had babysitters for the boys, if I got home and our female babysitter was in a pair of panties and one of my dress shirts, we, there'd be <laughs> there'd be some problems. I and there'd be some be okay explaining that. that needed to happen. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Lindsay, I need a robe. Lindsay ignores the shit out of Annie. I do not believe Lindsay and Annie get along like Tommy and Lori do. No, no, 100% not. You know, but we know why. Uh, later, we're going to see Lori reading to Tommy with using voices. Annie, on the other hand, can't wait to basically package up Lindsay, take her across the street, and dump her off on Lori and Tommy so that she can have uh, Bob come over, right, and do the deed. Paul. Paul, right, right. I was saying during the pre-roll about how uh, there's a lot of repeated dialogue. Yeah. This is one of those scenes. Uh, hmm. Whoever, when they're driving, when when Annie and Lori are driving to their respective babysitting jobs, uh, Lori lets it slip that she has a crush on. Uh, yes. He's never, we're not going to find the name. because it ma- Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not in the movie. I'll just drop in when she says it. Um. And Annie calls Lori and says, I just talked with Ben Tramer and he got real excited when I told him how attracted you were to him. Lori proceeds to go, Oh, Annie, 
Oh, you didn't. Please tell me you didn't. How could you do that? I mean, how could you just call him? <laughs> what do you mean it was easy? To look and see the shape for the first time. I'm like... <laughs> That's all she got? That's all she had. It's the hey. 70s, man. Phone etudes weren't a thing, I guess. Please tell me you didn't. Oh, you didn't. Laurie. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I couldn't Maybe even face it. Great little, not even better than great, phenomenal little Easter egg. Lori and Tommy, after she's reading a story to him, they are watching an old black and white movie. The Thing from Outer Space. The Thing from Another World. Excuse me, The Thing from Another World, yep. Which, of course, is the movie that John Carpenter will update to become The Thing. The Thing, yep. One of the best John Carpenter movies of all time. Never seen it. It's so fucking. You've never seen. Oh I, my! Which God. is crazy because you know how I love Kurt Russell. What if I were to tell you that you will be disturbed by Wilford Brimley? Do you think that's possible? Is he naked? No, disturbed I, by no. his performance. Nothing else. Oh, he's okay. Kind of terrifying. In the movie. Oh, all right. Well, now I'm now I'm interested. Yeah, and it's okay. got your hair hero. My, he is my hair. We watched. Have you watched the the new Christmas Chronicles? We were going to watch it last night, but we never got around to it. I hear Move it along, guys. That was a lot. We, we're gonna we're gonna mm-hmm. cut through that, folks. Maybe some some headliner stuff in there. <laughs> There's definitely headliner stuff. Uh, so, okay. so Annie, can we just talk about the amount of detergent yeah. she puts in that? <laughs> My God. <laughs> well, for, it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a high efficiency washer. We know that. Oh my it's, God! It's the 70s. So, you know, it it still seemed like you know, an a gross amount. Uh, like she pours it at least a third of what's in there. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, you're not. Uh, that's right. What? That's right. Well, listen, I don't get the sense that Annie is a good babysitter. I think I don't think I, think I don't get Lori's, the sense is Annie is a good person. That too. That she too. does not seem like an that, awesome individual. Listen, in, I am sure that Annie, or I'm sorry, that Lori is the babysitter. Like, she's top tier. If you can get Lori Stroud, you get Lori Stroud. But the reality is uh, the Doyles, Doyles or Boyles? Tommy. Doyle. Boyle. Doyle. Doyle. The reality is the Doyles have her locked up with Tommy. So yep. good luck there. You'll settle for Annie, but <laughs> Annie's not your... She's not getting the first call. Now, do you think all these parents went to like the same restaurant? Because it's a small town, right? The so Annie is babysitting the Lindsay Wallace. Clearly, their plan is that she's going to get rid of Lindsay, and then Linda and Bob are going to come over to fuck at the Wallaces. While Annie, how long are the Wallaces? Like, are they at a? I are they coming home that night? I don't think they're coming home that night. I think. I think they're going, I think it's the 70s. I think they're going to a key party and they're staying over somewhere. Like they're fucking. Uh, I guarantee you, no more key parties after a mass murder happens in their town. (laughs) That'll put a damper on Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Paul calls in and uh, Lindsay answers the phone and he's like, hey, can you put Lindsay on the, uh, can you put uh, Annie on the phone? Lindsay puts the phone down. She doesn't hang it up. Goes out. We find that Annie has locked herself in the, in the laundry room and is trying to get out through the window. She got her, which is a separate building. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't understand that. Um, but they, uh, they come back in and the phone starts ringing again. Now 
I'm probably the last generation that understands that that is some pure 100% grade A movie magic bullshit. If a phone is off the hook, <laughs> that's right. To the point where when later when the phone keeps ringing when Bob and Linda are doing the deed, Bob makes a suggestion. Let's just keep it off the hook. I'm like, hang on. In the same fucking movie, you make the mistake and you point out the way to not make it not happen? No, no, no. Well, is that because did Michael come in and hang up the phone? No. You never see that he, phone by where uh, Linda is. Why not Linda? Um, Lindsay is watching the movie. Yeah, but but the, the next person that's going to get killed is Annie. At the Wallaces. Right, because she she drops off Lindsay. She takes she takes Lindsay across the street, then she goes back, she's gonna drive to pick up Paul. And when she gets into the car, Michael's in the back seat and he strangles Which her. Which is weird. So she go so she goes to the car, it's locked. She realized she left the keys inside. She goes to get the keys. She takes a moment to do her hair. She comes back out and the car is now unlocked. She never puts the key in, in to unlock the car. How did Mike? Is Michael like a master well, keysmith? We should also we should also point out we should also point out that in the seventies, if one door was locked, then that door was locked. She goes the to the same other door. Three doors would be unlocked, but she goes to the same door. Oh, and it's unlocked. And it's unlocked. Well, what I'm saying is that the fact that she it was previously locked doesn't you know Michael could have gotten in a could have gotten different... in locked that door been sitting in the back seat and then unlocked it for her mm-hmm. but why why unlock it well great question <laughs> thank you uh so anyways she gets in the car this death is gruesome yeah cuz it goes on like a like i don't know what it's like to strangle someone to death thankfully but <sighs> this felt pretty fucking realistic like in most movies, mm-hmm. when someone is strangled, it's like they're put in the chokehold and then and they're dead. This was yeah. like forty five seconds. Yeah, if he's strong enough, he could have killed her. You, you know what? Um, I noticed in this, and not just in this scene, but certainly in this scene and other places, we 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 hear Michael Myers' ragged breathing. Yeah, it's rough. Throughout the movie, and it's a little bit unnerving. Sure. Well, it's it's the end of the film. You hear it at the very last, while the sure. credits are it, about to start rolling, you hear. So it's not just a piano. You know, like, he makes a noise in the world, and we yeah, hear he does it. not talk, oh, but he makes definitely some almost sexual noises. Yeah. It's, it's it, yeah, it, it, whether he's exerting himself or he's he's aroused because of it. Who knows? There's something. I mean, that, that, yeah, yeah I, I think that's left up to whoever's watching the film and how they want to interpret it. So Annie's dead. Yep. Tommy is across the street with Lindsay and Lori. We see, well, Tommy sees Michael carrying Annie's body back into the house, not even through the back door. He's like, fuck it, I go in through the front and walks around to the front. Of course, Tommy freaks out, screams, uh, and. Nobody believes it. he's the boy who cried wolf because nobody sees him. Right. Loomis, the scumbag, has is staking out the Myers house waiting for Michael. Uh-huh. These three boys <laughs> like go up to the, you know, they're in the sidewalk in front of the house. The one gets goaded to go knock on the door. And Loomis lets them. I mean, he eventually yells, whispers to one of them. Um, He's really good at throwing his voice. He is across the street. Hey, Lonnie, 
get your ass away from there. Oh, I thought he was next. To, I thought he was like the side of the no, yard. I'm I'm guessing he's across the street because when we see Loomis's point of view of seeing it, it feels like an across the street. He's not very close to those kids. Also, if you know that this is the murder house and you know the guy has that doing the murders has a pl- close personal connection to you, you're going to be standing right outside his house. No, you're right. It would, I would not be next door. I would be across the street. Absolutely. It starts to pick up now. So Michael has killed Annie mm-hmm. just for, so we got basically two houses, right? The Wallace house has Michael Myers and the corpse of Annie mm-hmm. across the street is the, the Boyle or Doyle house with Tommy and his babysitter, Lori and Lindsay, who's been dumped off on them. <laughs> Who did you catch that? It seems like Annie was playing matchmaker there too. When she's like, "Well, come on, get your coat. We're going to pick up Pa." I don't want to. Look, Lindsay. I thought we understood each other. I want to stay here and watch this. Okay. Well, if I can fix it so you can watch TV with Tommy Doyle, would you like that? Yeah. Well, come with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She totally. Like I was like, oh, yeah. Linda. I mean, you know the. The boy across the street, of course, at the same age. That's right. That's right. Do they do um, they end up together in in this universe as like uh, like as trauma buddies? Through shared trauma. Yeah, or, that's dark. Ooh, that's that's dark, right? Let's, like, not, go, yeah, let's not go down I, that. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. <laughs> uh, uh, Linda and Bob show up at the Wallace house. They're looking for. Annie. Can we talk about Bob for a second? Sure. Linda is a smoke show. Like, there's no two ways around it. She is very, very attractive. Uh, she will always, and she's hilarious oh, yeah. from Stripes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, she's great. But yeah. when she pulls up and that's the guy she pulls up with, I was like, that's Bob? High school. Listen, just think is of Is it because he has a fan? Like, what is the attraction to this guy? He's not very good looking. He's got kind of dorky glasses. Maybe he's. A tripod. Yeah. You know he, I mean? Oh, like, he is. He's. Have you finished, got a baby arm. Have you finished yeah. uh, the boys season two? Uh, yes. <laughs> he's that guy. The guy. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Was that when uh, mother's milk? Was that a really good neck? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was great. That was great. Oh. Oh. No. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. He's got to be clearly. Hung like an elephant. So, I mean, let's just get to it. Yeah, Linda and Bob are uh, decide to go upstairs. They're having they get to it. They 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 get to it. Um, uh, Bob decides to go get a sandwich, get a little refuel, um, beer. No, yeah, yeah. I was just making the joke of oh. if I have a sandwich, I could maybe go again. Um, <laughs> I need eight hours of sleep and a bowl of Wheaties, so I don't know. What you, okay. So he uh, he goes downstairs. He grabs the beers. He hears a noise. He thinks someone's pretending to scare him. And uh oh, who jumps out? Well, well, no, no. First, he yells for Annie because remember they they go there expecting that Annie has cleared the house and they have a house to party right. in. They don't. They don't let the fact that Annie's not there in this dark house. Which, by the way, no one turns on a fucking light ever. Well, Bob turns <laughs> on the light and then turns it off when they go upstairs. So he's very polite. He is ahead sure, of the sure. energy conservation. Of the 80s. He's, he's there, man. So Bob thinks may, he calls for Annie. Of course, she doesn't answer. Annie pops out, and they have a threesome. And you get a minor jump oh. scare. <laughs> right, like a sideways jump scare. I went a different way with that scene. 
Was Bob trying to set up a three-way? Let's talk about that for a second. When they're still in the van. Yes, they they plan like... First we go inside, right? Then we'll just talk a little. And then Annie will distract Lindsay. That's when we go upstairs to the first bedroom on the left. You got it? Okay, first I rip your clothes off. <laughs> then you rip my clothes off. Then we rip Lindsay's clothes off. Yeah, I think I got it. I mean, good for Bob, but holy crap. Wait, hang on. That's a call clap, brother. All right, good for you. You pe- although listen, don't peak in high school. I mean, you know, pace yourself. I mean, you don't want to burn out too early. Do you know that I had a uh, a rumor in in high school that I had a three way with two girls? No, I I did not. Um, <laughs> but did you start the rumor? No, I did not. Okay, um, all right. Okay. Two friends of mine, and uh, it was not only that, but uh, did you ever uh, did you ever go to FM uh, like? For anything? No. We had this long hallway in the back of building one that went from one end to another. Like, like in the winter, you could do that. And that's where the threesome happened. Like, there, where people are constantly walking? Can we? Oh, God. Fucking high school, man. <laughs> high school is great, right? Yeah, it's totally great. So, yeah. Uh, it is not Annie. It is good old Mikey Myers. It, you're right. He never skips arm day because he one-hands... Bob up against the wall lifts him up a good foot and a half off the mm-hmm. floor, uh, and then of course with his free hand is able to stabby stab or one stab, stabby stab, one stab, one stab, one stab right right below the sternum so that the sternum is holding him up <laughs> into the wall. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So R.I.P. Bob, he's gone. Uh, right. We're down two. Never gonna get that three way. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So then Linda's upstairs and Michael comes in wearing a ghost sheet. Like suddenly he's going to be a comedian (laughs) with the glasses over the ghost sheet. Yes. Yep. So that she thinks it's Bob. Uh, We get a boob shot because uh, the seventies. Sure. Um, And uh, PJ really sells this like, Oh, we're playing a sexy game. Here are my boobs. That's not the game we're playing. I'm pissed at you right now. All right, I don't want to be too pissed because this may still be a game. So I'll pretend to be mad and be like, "Well, you're going to say anything?" Like, there's a whole evolution that happens there. Bra fucking o. Yeah. That is that is great acting. Yep. In, in this three hundred thousand uh, dollar independent horror film. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. She kind of says, basically, "Screw you." She gets up, picks up the phone to call Lori. She does call Lori. As she's doing so, Michael comes up behind her, grabs the phone cord, and begins choking her. Lori thinks that Annie is messing with her again. Linda's dead. Yeah, R.I.P. Linda. That's that's three. Three for three. Yeah. Had a good run. Killed that entire household. That's right. Now, Lori goes across the street to the Wallace house. Again, she enters the dark house, does not turn on the lights. Fuck that. Nope. I, listen, nope. if I'm in the basement, like... Lights are on. Like I'm lights are on. That's just yep. lights are on. 110%. Yeah. So she looks through the whole house. She goes upstairs. She finds Annie dead on the bed under the Judith Myers headstone. She starts to scream. Let's take a minute and uh, more golf claps. Yeah. Well done, Michael. Mm-hmm. Well done setting up this, you know, you haunted house for Lori to go through. You really know how to make a scene absolutely 100 he, he sets a tone he really sets a tone yeah, he really does so then he he goes back he finds uh is it bob hanging upside down first or is it uh it's yeah Linda? first it's paul no oh is that bob we never we say paul. yeah we never meet okay, paul no. paul survives yeah. like that's right 
Uh, sorry. So yeah, Bob is hanging in a closet. He sw- his torso swings down upside down, uh-huh. and then Linda is in a pantry. Uh, yeah, it almost looks like a dumb waiter. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, it's some built-ins. Those are really you know those mm. people love those in real estate. They're built-ins. Yeah. <laughs> Michael tries to stab Lori. Actually, he slices her uh-huh. arm, but really we don't see any blood. So only gets her shirt. I think. For, for continuity, I don't think they bothered putting. I think we're just supposed to assume that she got sliced, but they probably someone yeah. on set was like, "This will be really hard to do the same." Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She basically falls over the railing down and, the stairs, uh, dies, and uh, movie. R.I.P. Lori. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. She survives. I'm sorry. Oh, that's it. Totally fucked up. <laughs> That's right. She runs downstairs. She tries to get outside, but the door from the kitchen is wedged with a rake uh-huh. under it. She has to break the glass out as Michael is slowly stalking her, and she makes it out yeah, of the Interesting house. to point out, much like Jason, Michael never runs. We never see Michael never run. Runs. Nope. She goes running down the street screaming. She goes and next door. This one's a little unnerving. The neighbor that opens the blinds is like, oh, screaming girl with a ripped shirt. Well, okay, goodbye. She's pounding on the door. They turn on the front light. They look out the side window and do nothing. They're going <laughs> to feel like awesome. shit when they read the newspaper the next morning. 100%. She runs back to the Doyle house, Doyle's, uh, but she can't find the key. Uh-huh. So she's yelling for Tommy to open up. Michael Myers Walking across the street, she gets inside before he gets there. Very smartly throws a potted plant at the window to wake up Tommy. Tommy's like rubbing his eyes like, what the fuck do you want? I'm asleep. If it was me and suddenly my babysitter was pounding at the door, screaming, let me in, that might get something going a little faster inside me. been freaked out about the boogeyman all night. Uh He's very calm in that moment. But to your your point, he is a, you know, you wake a... You wake an eight-year-old up, you know you're not getting their best work, right? right? You know what I mean? Like, they're not. They're not. Uh, he's not, not really sharp. He snaps to attention in the next scene where she's like, "Go lock yourself in the bedroom with Lindsay," and he's like, "What? Well, do what I say?" He runs. Then he's like, oh, "Okay, huh? sorry." <laughs> Michael gets into the house through the side window because she didn't have time to lock that. Yeah, her reaction to seeing the wind, the window open, the curtain blowing is, it, it's. It, I was reading that during the filming of this, um, John Carpenter had like a scare meter, and he would tell her like, "You're at a six in this scene, uh-huh. and you're at a, you're going to go to a nine here, and then we're going to come back to a seven. To and she she articulated different levels of fright based on where she was with different reactions. Very smart way for a new if you've got a new actor, that's a great way to do it. I just it, it works. maybe gave her the wrong number in that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, sure. Well, Listen, who's this? I mean, she's just witnessed. She just stumbled on the bodies of her three best. You know, right, three she, of may, her she may be, and now she knows they got that the killer's in the house. He's coming for her. She she's not even safe in the house because now the house isn't even secure. So right, I, I'll, I'll give her that reaction. She's collapsed on the couch, Michael comes over the top and with the accuracy of a stormtrooper misses the stab misses like, it 100 totally, she has grabbed oh she had picked up a sewing needle or a knitting needle stabs him in the neck uh-huh and 
Michael dies. And movie. Oh, wait, but she's got to go check on the kids. So we're still in the movie. We're still in the movie. Uh, She checks on the kids. She's got her back to the stairs. She's basically trying to comfort the kids. Yeah, this is a good this is a good visual. Yes. One of that Michael just comes into view. Oh my yeah. god. That was great. Yeah. Because it takes like I knew it was coming because I've seen the movie before. Because the first time I watched this, it's like it takes your brain a second to realize what's happening. You're like, oh shit, it's Michael. He's still alive, you know. It's the background, it's not in focus. Carpenter does that a so few times, good. and I like it, right? Like you you really need to be paying attention. It's not a complex story in terms of, you know, these special effects and these crazy things happening, but you just need to watch. And so many of the moments in which we see Michael stalking her, you'll get a shot and there's just, oh, who's that guy with the mask? Oh, that's Michael Myers. Oh, my God. And now he's gone. He's One not doing my... it there. Yeah. One of my favorites is in... um Halloween 2018 that definitely pays a lot of homage to this one is uh, there's a scene where a character is at a gas station. He's walking by and in broad daylight, you just, and this is a visual, you can find it online, but I'm going to show you, this is what you see in the background. Michael's got a guy and he's just going like this. Oh my God. And it takes your brain a second. You're like, what am I? Oh my God. Michael's murdering that man. (laughs) Yeah. So, and it's broad daylight and it's just, it's, it, it's one of my favorite things in horror movies where I like jump scares. I like jump scares. I like pop outs. Uh, and I like all that, but I love when it takes your brain a second to figure out what you're seeing. And yeah. then you're scared. You're like, yeah. oh, what is, oh my God. What was the movie you were just telling me about? It all t- is it Midsommar? It all takes place in the daytime. There's no, there's nothing hidden. It's all right there. Yeah. That's a rough movie. Do I, I kind of want to watch it. Matta and uh, Heidi. They like horror stuff, and I think I feel like they loved that one. Watch it for nothing else than Florence Pugh's performance. She is phenomenal. I feel like I should know who that is. Well, she's yes, she's in. Did you watch um, Perry Mason? No, she's in that. Oh wait, is she in that? No, she's in Little Women, a remake with uh, that just came out last year with uh, Sarsa Ronan. Okay, so I'm not thinking of the right... So it's... Never mind. She is not in Perry Mason, but she is in Black. <laughs> she is in Black Widow. All right. I, I mean... Oh, Fighting Hammer. That's right. That's what we were... For, to be honest, she's probably going to be Black Widow. Like... That's... Uh, she she will end up as the new Black Widow. And yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. She's a great actor. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I loved her in Fighting With My Family. Yeah. Oh, my God. She was so good in Fighting With My Family. For nothing else, if you've seen Fighting with My Family, mm-hmm. see Midsommar because you will see the absolute opposite ends of Florence Pugh's oh, okay. acting abilities because she's so rough and tumble in um, yeah. Fighting with My Family. She is so diminutive and so, like, it's so good. She's so oh. fucking good. Okay. Well, that might be tight. So, Lori, as she's trying to calm the kids down, Michael comes up the stairs behind her. She closes their door. She goes running down the hallway. I think correctly assuming that the kids are not in danger. He's coming for her. 100%. She goes to another room. She, you know, hides in a closet. And you get the horrible moment of it's it's the worst experience, right? You've committed to my defense is I'm just going to hide. And I'm hiding in a place with no other exits. 
So my only hope is that I'm not found. Because if I'm well, found, I'm fucked. Welcome to most of my nightmares as a child. <laughs> I'm hiding somewhere and I'm going to be found. And there's nothing I can do about it. I made the wrong choice. That and my other one was um, I'm being chased. I yell for someone and all that comes out is help. So flash forward to me seeing Scream in 1995. What's the character? What's Drew Barrymore's character's name? Do you remember? Is it Sydney? No, no, no. That's that's Nev Campbell. Her name is oh. Casey. Oh, so there's Casey. <laughs> Running to try and get to her parents, and all she can do is go, Mom. And I went, Oh, fuck you. Fuck you, movie. I was so mad. I was so like, Why are you in my brain? Get out. The the assault on the closet door is there's not there's no complexity there, but it's very tense. Like I was I was I was mm-hmm. tense waiting for that. It's a closet door with the slats. Yeah. So it's not even like a something solid. And of course, Michael starts pounding through it. L- Lori has the sense of mind to reach up, grab a wire hanger, twist it, and stabs him somewhere. I couldn't see. Was it supposed to the be his eye? eye? Yep. Yeah. Stabs him right in the eye. He drops the knife. Mm-hmm. Lori picks it up, stabs him again. Right. Bam. Done. He's down. Of- Lori says to the kids, go... Um, Go get help and movie. Oh, except when she's sitting there, suddenly this Michael Myers the- just sits up. And that is that is a jump scare that is not a jump scare. It is because yeah. you go, oh, my God. But it's not like he, like, pounces up. It is so slow. Again, it takes your brain a second to realize what you're seeing. I feel like that is a trope that I think we have to credit John Carpenter for. It's not the only time in this movie. Again, there are other places where things just happen normally in the background that you have to mm-hmm. see. But and I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to struggle to think of an example. But that feels like something that is now part of the the way the, in which we tell stories and can be horrifying, right? Like it can just no of, out of yeah. focus. Yeah, the villain of the movie is never dead with the first, or in this case. That's a that's a well, but I mean I mean specifically this something we're watching somebody in the foreground in focus. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, in the background, out of focus, something happens. It's not like he doesn't pop up. He doesn't. There's not a poof. He just slowly sits up. But it's the idea that this is happening in the background and fuzzy, out of focus. But we recognize what's happening before the character does. Mm-hmm. It, it's so effective. And again, this gets to this idea. There's nothing complex in this story. I would argue, you know, nothing really matters in the story until he shows up at the Wallace house, right? Like, all of it is just to have the siege of these two houses. That's it. This movie could have been a short film. 100%. Everything in the beginning and just been Michael terrorizing these four teenagers. But John Carpenter... T- does this masterful work in in telling this suspenseful, terrifying story? Yeah, just between these two houses. That's it. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. So so Michael goes to attack Laurie again, and who comes to the rescue? But Doctor Loomis with his gun. With his gun, which was a great scene that we skipped, where they're in the house and he pulls the gun. <laughs> he and he's like, "Oh, I, I of course have a permit for this, Mister Police <laughs> Officer." <laughs> Right. Yeah. So the Hippocratic Oath doesn't apply to pure evil. Clearly, that's what we should know. Yeah. 
right? Because he definitely does a lot of fucking harm to Michael. And he unloads. He It's a six-shot revolver. He unloads all six shots. All sure six does. hit. During the whole movie, you know, Tommy has been calling... Uh, the, the shape, the the shape, the boogeyman. She says, "What's the boogeyman?" And he says, As a "Matter of fact, it was." He goes to look at the body, and there's no body. No body. We hear the ragged breathing start again uh-huh. as the Halloween graphic comes up, the end, t- end credits roll, and we hear the the theme and movie for real this time. Yeah. <laughs> So, Todd, that was uh, the beginning of slasher films. This was a great pick. Yeah, and and again, I I, I feel like distilled down to its simplest form, or not really distilled, starting from its simplest form, everything that will iterate around that becomes increasingly more complex. But Mm -hmm. this was so simple. And to your point, the body count is is four. Four four, when he's 23. Yeah, there's four. Adult Michael Myers kills four people, which is, you know, Bush League for, you know, slasher films that will come after this. Even even like um, uh, uh, Friday the 13th, the first one, it's probably easily double that. Sure, sure. But boy, I'll, I'll tell you, I, watching this through this lens of seeing a genre really be created, I'm not, this movie holds up. This movie fucking holds up as long as you don't look at it in a modern lens of how horror movies are made now sure. and see what it does. It holds up. It, it's you, got its flaws, it's but that's not okay. Gonna, you're not going to know why Michael's evil, what drove him to this, what's his... That's yeah, not the point in, of this movie. Yeah, you have to wait until you get to uh, Halloween 5 or 6 when it's the Celtic sure. occult. That it, is. You know, it's not even Psycho, which technically... which Well, not even technically well predates this but um you know that will explore you know when we see what's his name norman norman bates yeah when we see norman you know in his mother's getup there's none of that here this is the simplest evil is stalking a girl yep that's it the end that's it that's all right all right well casey we have some questions that we need to answer here Hey Todd. Yes. Who was your favorite character? Um now I could see going the opposite. I'm going to say again, beginning of the genre, she does all the things right. It's Laurie Stroud. 100%. She is the original Scream Queen. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which was the great cameo in the show Scream Queens. She was more than a cameo. She was well, I mean, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it was a great nod. I feel that she was one hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. She's also, I believe, this begins the term "final girl." Oh, is that the idea? The so that's the, the, the trope the, in Cabin in the Woods that the the yep. chase virgin virgin at the mm-hmm. end has to survive. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Um, Casey, what is the best scene? I think it, I mean, it's more than a scene, but it's, it's from when they end up back in the Doyle house to the end. Yeah. Yeah. A lot I of think, really I think great stuff right happens there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a lot of 
really fucking great stuff happens during if, that. If I went smaller, I would say this, you know, that it's even, it's not even a scene. It's a shot of him sitting up. Yeah. But, oh, that's a great shot. Yeah. But yeah. But that, that's really the whole movie is to get us there. So yeah, a hundred percent. Uh, Hey Todd, uh, speaking of scenes, is there a scene you would cut in this? Um, so again, I don't know that it's a scene, but again, I think everything but for the siege at the Wallace and the Doyle houses is only designed to get us to those moments. So, I mean, uh, you, you know, do they matter? Not really. I mean, there's, there's setting their, their background. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it matters. To be honest with you. No, there's nothing I would cut. No, it's, uh. It's good. If if anything, we'd want more, you know? Sure. Um, now, this is an interesting one. Casey, who is the actor having the most fun? PJ. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll go with that. Sure. Because you can't say... Um, Annie's a little bit nasty. Annie's nasty. Um, Lori, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis has spent so much time... That. Sure. Yelling, screaming, all that stuff. PJ gets to have a good time. I'm gonna yeah. say it's PJ. Okay, yeah, I'm good with that. All right. Maybe the guy who plays Bob because he gets to make out with PJ. <laughs> he may That's be right. having the most right. fun for real. Yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> once again, the IMDB score for this movie was a 7.8. Um, I'm Casey, flip those. 8.7. 8.7. Yeah, yeah. I think this suffers from. I think to your point earlier. People are looking at this through a modern lens and looking at all the things it doesn't have. I think that's unfair. I, If it's a 7.8, well, then you better give it an asterisk for, oh, by the way, basically created a genre. You know, like 100%. It, it gets credit that that rating doesn't, can't encompass. This well, we literally are, created a genre. Well, we are in the year 2020 where many things are going to have an asterisk <laughs> next to it. That's so right. yeah, that's true. why that's not true. this? That's true. Um, <laughs> Now, Casey, so listen, it, it's among the mildest of horror, but it's still a slasher horror movie. No, you're not waiting, watching it with any young kids. Um, it is, is rated R in 1978. Yeah, um, well, the boobs galore is probably one of the reasons. It, yeah, you know, I'd rather have we used to not have a problem with nudity in movies because uh, the Village People movie has full on dick in it and it is rated. PG. Well, yes. Well, I'm of the opinion, and Europe Europe more follows this. Europe is more restrictive in letting children, is more restrictive trying to prevent children from seeing violence. Yep. They are less restrictive about nudity. Now, I'm not saying sexual contact, content, but merely being nude is not necessarily dirty. And I think there's a. I think that probably goes back to our puritanical roots. So, yeah, and, and it is something that has flipped. Like perfect example, the Village People movie. There's penis in it. And it's rated PG because you could sure. probably say to your kid, "Hey, that's a penis." You know, that's right. You either have one or you don't. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, and, and again, now I'll say this: Joseph's fourteen. He's at the point where he's starting to. You know, maybe he's accidentally seen a couple of Rick and Morty's with me. I mean, you know, you're going to reach a point where. When would you want him at 14? Do would you want to be sitting next to your 14 year old watching this movie, seeing the boobs, seeing see, that would seeing not bother Bob, 
Bob and Lori roll around and she make very, very realistic moaning noises. So I don't for a second think that a 14 year old is not aware of sex. Sure. I would, you know, I've, and actually this is true to life. I've actually been very particular to point out to our kids that, you know, they have access to material that we never had growing up. So I think it's very important to set context. So, oh, 100%. I, I'm, I'm right with you on that. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think, and I don't think you can be silent. And this is a me statement. This is not about anyone else. I am of the opinion that you need to lead with your context because if you don't set a context, they will interpret their own. So things like, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, the sex that you see in pornography is not what actual sex or sexual relationships are like, you know, very often a lot of sexuality, a lot of pornography um, is not respectful or empowering to women. And that's also not something you would want to emulate. So I'm actually, I, I am, I would welcome that as an, as an opportunity to have a conversation, which is beyond the scope of this podcast. I don't know why I went there. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're, you're perfectly fine. Um, Uh, So yeah. uh, Last bit of business. Yes. So we don't have it yet. We're going. We're going to. But but here's what's coming. Um, and by the time this, well, no, not yet. By the time no, this we'll drops until January we'll, to, to yeah, do it, yeah. but it's, you'll start to see. So the next genre we're going to do. So horror is a movie that is a genre that you love. I have only ever watched casually. The next we're going to flip this for our next genre. So we're going to watch the worst mm-hmm. and the best of westerns which is a genre that I love, and I think you have seen only sporadically. Uh-huh. So um, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to... I've seen more spaghetti good. westerns than than full westerns. Okay, that's good. Because I, I, I feel like those, are, those have to make an appearance in... So what we'll do is, similar to the horror, we will present some curated options to vote on, as well as a write-in yep. vote. And um, we're going to try and find what's the worst example of a Western and what's the best uh-huh. example of a Western. And then we'll oh, end boy. this season of Patreon with a genre that both of us love, which, of course, is science fiction. So I'm so scared I'm really for excited. bad science fiction, though, because when you get into bad science fiction, you get into bad science fiction. I, it's I, just like... I'm almost excited. I, I might almost be more excited about the bad science fiction because I feel like there's... Well, we're going to have you. fun with this. <laughs> I think it'll be better than Max. Uh, so, Overdrive. Uh, Todd. I, I, yes. L- listen, there's n- we're not going to watch anything <laughs> even close <laughs> to as bad as Maximum Overdrive. Agreed, um, agreed. Todd, where can people find you on social media? Should they wish to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check out my website, tmpinsyr.com, or Twitter or Instagram with the handle at tmpinsyr. Hey, Casey. Where can folks find you? On Twitter, I am not Ryan Casey. On Instagram, I am not dot Ryan Casey. We also have an Instagram and a Twitter for the podcast itself. On Twitter, we are TSPHC Tweets. And on Instagram, we are simply Superpod HeroCast. Last bit of uh, ways to get in touch with us, if you want to write us a, a love letter or a death threat, uh, <laughs> depending on what we give a movie that you like, you can email us at superpodherocast at gmail.com because only Cap writes letters. Tony. You know, we should also point out 
this year we have joined the Night Shift Radio Network. We're very excited to be a part of that. Sure. There's a lot of great material there. There are new shows being developed right now, even as we speak. Head over to nightshiftradio.com to get a sense of what's going on there. Um, from there, you can also link out to a merch store. Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking at our social media, you've seen some stuff pop up with uh, merchandise in the wild. So check that out. And if you don't want to bother doing any of that, our merchandise is available at nsrad.io. That's right. Music for the podcast comes to us from two sources. Our theme music is Take a Chance by Kevin McLeod. He puts out a variety of music royalty-free at his website, which is incompetech.com. Our beer music is Feather Duster by Shane Ivers. He puts out his music at silvermansound.com. We should also thank the fabulous Kitsy. Kitsy is a musician, sound engineer, podcast host, all-around fabulous person. We would not sound so good without Kitsy working their magic. Go check out Kitsy's work at Kitsy, K-I-T-Z-Y, dot com. That's right. Thank you, Kitsy. So, Todd, that was a horror movie. That was a horror. That was the best of the horror movies. We finished the genre, buddy. One That's down, right. two to go. So, that'll do it for the Superpod HeroCast for this week. For Todd Panic, I'm Casey Ryan. Casey Ryan, I'm Todd Panic. Be heroic.